Welcome back to another fireside chat here at the Global Supply Chain Week presented by FreightWaves. Uh, right now, we're going to be going through AI-enabled risk mapping in the defense supply chains. With me, I have Jennifer Besegli. How are you doing, Jennifer? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm so glad that uh, you joined us today. Give us a little background of, of you know, how you got to where you are today, and then we'll dive into a little, little bit about supply chain. Yeah, so we're kind of like a, what do they call it, a overnight, 16 year overnight success story, if you will. The company actually turned 16 about a week ago. Um, but really, my background's 20 some years of being in global supply chains, helping many companies back in the 90s offshore manufacturing, and just watched as we started offshoring and then those companies outsourced and those companies outsourced. And now you actually don't know who you're doing business with and if that's a good or a bad thing. And nothing could have um, educated all of us as much as the year 2020 did between COVID and the financial risk that that, can, that created within the supply chains to the trade wars that we're having with China to solar winds and cyber concerns throughout your supply chain. So I would love to say we saw this one coming. We didn't, but we were sure prepared for it. Yeah, that seems to be the the real theme behind COVID is, you know, how quick can you react? How how fast can you start to take in what's happening and adjust with that? And so being the CEO of Enteros, how did how did you see your own company start positioning the conversation after uh, COVID had become what it is today? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. January a year ago, if we had been talking I would have shared with you um, how to automate what was being called vendor due diligence. So it we're all used to using spreadsheets to onboard new suppliers or sending out surveys once a year. And we were mostly focused on just automating that because that's what the market understood. They needed to go faster and keep up with the pace of onboarding new suppliers. Um, with after 2020 happens, now we've pivoted the entire company as well as our messaging towards this concept of operational resilience, which is instead of waiting for a disaster to happen and react, wouldn't it be nice to, to know the information ahead of time and be able to preempt and position the company so that you aren't disrupted? And that's really what we're focused on right now. Okay, and, and so how does Enteros kind of uh, function within that? So risk mapping, uh, and given the uh, the title of this AI driven. So how do we kind of automate that entire process to then find the risk and, and give you, I guess, option A, B, and C of what you can do next? Yep. So um, even though the company started 16 years ago, we actually started as more of a consultancy, still focused on really uh, doing three things, mapping out your extended supply chain, continuous monitoring, around world events and what that means to you. So the ripple effect of any event that happens around the world and then um, alerting against it. We've advanced with technology. And so we started, our first technology was built in 2014. We um, advanced it greatly in 2018, 2019, we took on um, our first investment as, and then 2020 we did a series B and got us to, to where we are today. So today our platform um, ingests over 100,000 different types of data feeds, um, publicly available, commercially available. Last spring, we actually allowed customers to start bringing data into the platform. And what we've done, Kyle, is we've built the world's largest business relationship graph. So in absence of any customer, 
we are ingesting data and we are mapping how companies are doing business with each other, who's investing in who, subsidiaries, affiliates, what have you. Just understanding it's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon every day in our world. So watching as companies together come together and as they separate. So we map and then we're ingesting data. We're also ingesting like news alerts and weather patterns and other types of disruptions that happen on, around the world. And we're actually think about actuarial science based on how close you are to that event. We're um, giving you the likelihood and the impact of that event on your system. So historically we were mapping and monitoring and now we're moving into modeling going forward. And, and that's where the artificial intelligence comes into play. Historically, it was machine learning. So ingesting massive amounts of data to build the world's largest business relationship graph. And where we're going now is the modeling using data science to allow you to preempt and almost gamify what's happening in the world so that you don't have to experience the disruption. Wow. And so given that modeling and artificial intelligence and data science re relies heavily on historical uh, data metrics, whether it be from your own customers or through uh, you know, the providers that you had just addressed, how do you see that being affected by the decoupling of our relationship with China? It seems that the, even this week, I, I've had conversations with companies that are talking about shifting those, those suppliers to, to different countries. And so how does, how does that start to, how does that play into this whole equation? Yeah, it's a really great question. And um, interesting kind of note to that is back in 2003, when SARS was the pandemic we were concerned with, at that point in time, the world relied on China for about 4% of goods and services. Today, that number is closer to 17 to 20%. So to your point, there's a heavily reliance on one part of the world, whether it's China or not, that's just very dangerous for us all to be relying on the same source, a concentration risk. And so what we do, is a couple things. One is we're able to identify where in the world there are alternative sources of that supply, whether it be a hard good or a service that you might move to. The other thing is we're working with several governments to identify places that either have those raw materials that they could invest in to create more alternative sources of supply and or where there are skill sets, universities, there's um, the labor force is ready-made for that type of a service or a product. And so helping them to identify maybe that what doesn't exist today, but what could exist with an investment. And again, leveraging the modeling aspect to say, based on labor force, energy and labor costs, uh, raw, uh, raw materials, as well as future um, you know, global warming, you know, sea level rising, all taking all those things into consideration, be able to model forward so that we can constantly have a resilient um, supply chain and a resilient world and economy if you want to take it that far going forward. Yeah, I'm sure we can keep digging down deep into that because there's a lot of changes that could potentially occur. And if you talk to even our president, what, or our president of Freightways, the, is it, was it a black swan? Was it a white swan type of event? How do we even plan for things like that? It's hard to, to even plan for what's, what we can expect for tomorrow, let alone some sort of event that could just change the way we all interconnect with each other. Um, now, taking that to a niche, defense. So, how does how does that change the conversation? What from the the, the private industry where you have just a lot of suppliers, you know, either it's B two C or B two B type companies. How does that how does that change when we start talking defense supply chain? 
Well, I think I think the first thing to remember is that the defense supply chain relies on the private sector. So to believe it or not, the the engagements we have with our government customers are pretty much the same as we have for the private sector customers. Um, we talk about half uh, a, a horizontal 50% of our customer base or what we consider to be aerospace and defense. So that's everything from the United States Department of Defense to you know, the prime contractors and the private sector that support it. So the problem sets are very similar. I think that a couple things are, are different, right? The size and scale is very different. So when you think about operational resilience for a company, even if it's global, very, very different when you're talking about the Department of Defense. Um, I also think, you know, even though the private sector supports the public sector, when you think about national security, it just takes on a whole different scale when you're talking about from the government. And then there's also simply the optics. But, um, but at the end of the day, Kyle, the interesting thing to understand is that the problem sets are very, very similar, if not the same, um, because the private sector is the supply chain for national security in the Department of Defense. Gotcha. And so where do you see that overlap with, you know, risk mapping from the commercial side to the, the defense side for maybe those who aren't really aware of the similarities? So it's very, very specific. Um, when COVID happened, most of us will remember that you had stimulus funding that Congress was looking to put into the private sector so that we could continue the supply chains um, going. And um, whether it was a, a private sector customer like a Lockheed Martin that came and said, I need to understand my tier two and tier three suppliers and if they were financially stable, or it was the government saying, I need to understand my tier two and tier three suppliers, it was the same problem set. So I think that's the first thing. Again, they're all reliant on the same types of companies. The other piece of overlap is within a specific industry you normally see between 60 and 80% of the suppliers being overlapped. So within the financial services um, industry, 60 to 80% of the suppliers are the same across all the banks. Same thing from a government standpoint. I think the last count I heard, there's about 330,000 tier one suppliers to the Department of Defense. Having said that, when you start getting into like programs like building ships, there's only a certain amount of companies that can build the ships and that 60, 80% overlap is the same, whether you're in the private sector or in the public sector. No, that's definitely accurate. And it always feels like from the companies I even talk to about, and these are large fortune 100 type shippers that their secret sauce is, is secret is, or, or is safe with them or is a secret to them. Whereas their suppliers are all the same, all the same. They're all getting it from the same, the same uh, either country or you know country of origin there, and so when we get thrown something like COVID, did you see an increase even of people coming to your front door? Because now I'm used to supplier A based out of country B. Well, where do I get that? I still have buyers who are looking to to buy my my goods, or I have a service that I need these goods for. Did you see that starting to occur in that? Okay, what is our what is our plan B and C that is even a potential that I'm not thinking about? Yeah, it, it, absolutely. So a couple things. One is January 2020. If you were working with me, you'd mostly care about counterfeit concerns and cybersecurity, which came back to bite us again at the end of 2020. But work with me. So January <laughs> counterfeits and cybersecurity. March and April, 
of 2020. So after COVID really started rolling and we could have a large conversation about whether it was a black swan or whether we should have really paid attention earlier. Um, but March or April, now it's exactly what you just said. I care about two things. Where in the world are my suppliers being impacted by COVID and what's my alternative? That was it. I'll also tell you that between March and April, inbounds into my company for help went up 500% without doing marketing. And so that was literally people either word of mouth or Google going out there and just saying, we need help. And to be honest with you, um, you know, you asked about the technology earlier, we got crushed, right? I mean, we weren't even ready for that much of an onslaught, but, but the nice thing is, is that the graph is much bigger now. It's much more robust than it was. And I hadn't had it planned this big, but now it's even, you know, it helps a lot more people and, um, and the ability to do something at scale and at speed is where we are today. And that was the positive that came out of COVID for us. But I do think that, um, there was an aha awakening. And for the first time ever, you know, Kyle, and I have been doing this for a long time, we are, as much as Interos has always been a C-suite conversation, we are square on the CEO and the board's desk right now. The board is asking the CEO, how are you investing in your supply chain so that Apple doesn't have to miss their earnings again like they did last February, right? Or we don't get surprised that India just happens to be the ingredient vending machine for pharmaceuticals that are being manufactured in, in China. So, so now there are ways to know. And, and yes, our inbounds went up drastically. I think that the good part about the market is that it's not really a hype cycle because there were three big tangible problems that came out of 2020 that people really need to solve. Yeah, and it just comes down to answering those tough questions, even even from FreightWaves' front doorstep, which has a, a data aggregation uh, part of the business on top of the media. What we have seen is just these are really tough questions to answer. And and now it's getting effect, it's getting pointed out in every single earnings call, even looking at Peloton, who had to bring on investment just to cover the supply chain costs. Well, and, and they so were shipping from ports, right? Right. You know, and, and I'm a huge, I got the treadmill and the bike, by the way. I'm a huge <laughs> okay. fan. So thanks for tossing that in here today. But um, but to talk about a supply chain fix, right? They're literally shipping bikes from ports. And so yeah, I think uh the aha moment, the interesting, and I don't know if you have a perspective on this one, I always get asked, do we think we learned this time? Right? Like, do we think the changes that came out of 2020 are long? are longstanding. And I don't, I don't know if you guys have a thought on that one, but I always think that's an interesting conversation. It is an interesting conversation because there, there's a, there's a couple different lenses you can look at it from. You can look at it from the personnel perspective. Were we organized as a company for success? And, and you know, that's some companies are more robust than others. There's companies that heavily invest long before COVID hit in their supply chain and in those in their in their operations team so that they can make these decisions on the fly and answer those questions and then you have others that just maybe there's a small team of of people in their transportation department that all of a sudden weren't prepared for this and now they're having to go out reach out to you know people like Interos and be like well what are what are our options we don't know we can't answer that question and so you, what I think, and this personally is, you know, there's going to be a shift in the opera, how we operate. So there's got to be more transparency. There's got to be more awareness. 
And, and so with that comes more data. But then how do we have that across who you're talking to? Because now we're, then we, that's from the shipper's point of view. Now let's talk about how do we communicate with our supply chain vendors? Okay, are we going to talk the same talk to them? And then that same thing up upstream to our suppliers or even up in our in our leadership team. Is that gonna is there gonna be a unified conversation so that at least we can have the same measuring stick or at least language to talk off of? And I think that's gonna be the biggest thing that really impacts us that we'll all learn from is that we have to talk the same language. If not, we're all gonna fail. I I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, one thing that I talk about a lot is that if you are any of the people in the business that you just called out that has known this is going to be a problem or has been experienced a problem, there's probably no better time in your career to go ask for funding to fix it than right now, <laughs> because you're, you know, your CEO and leadership has been educated that they have to lean forward. I think the other thing is, is, you know, one of the things that we did really well from the beginning was we created a lexicon and a framework in effort to enable customers to talk to their their customers and their suppliers and other business partners. And so every one of our customers uses our framework and it's worked out well. We have like five buckets that we look at risk through. So you have financial concerns, operational concerns, which is everything from counterfeits to layoffs to foreign ownership. You have um, geographic, so geopolitical, lat, lat long kind of things, weather patterns, climate. You have governance, compliance, everything from rare earth elements and conflict minerals to several, you know, like anti-China uh, 5G laws coming out of the government, Section 889, and cybersecurity. So I think the point that you mentioned, you know, our best customers, our most successful customers, excuse me, um, everybody's our best customer, but our most successful customers are the ones that actually take this information, use the, the framework and the lexicon to share, because then they all get better. Right. And I think that's also the, the big cry that we're hearing. If you think about what the PPE supply chain did when we were running out of PPE and nobody could have access to it, all the kimonos got opened. You know, to your point a few minutes ago, we started understanding who all the sub-tier suppliers were. You had Ford that decided to retool their shops because nobody was buying cars so that they could make ventilators. Right. And, and you're starting to see that in different industries that are considered to be key where they're actually starting to be a bit more transparent with their business partners um, and the supply chain so that they can all get better. Right. And we, we got a, only a couple minutes left. So I saved the best questions for the short time, which is the, the change in leadership that we have up on Capitol Hill. This is definitely something every four years, the potential of changing, uh, changing guard um, is always a possibility. How, how do you see risk mapping with that because going into what trump had a lot of deregulation a lot of uh leniency towards uh aspects of the supply chain whereas now there's a, a little worry around okay well what what is going to be impact what is going to be impacting me as it, as these executive orders may get overturned or new things start getting proposed yeah i think that you know i'm not here to speak on behalf of the administration but we're watching very very closely and we spend a lot of time talking to congress and i, I think a couple things you have a, a president and an administration that's very focused on the first 100 days right you're hearing about it a lot in the news i also think what a rare situation that he comes into office um, on the tail of 2020 right so he's got a lot to work with 
I think the other thing, to be honest with you, and I'm, I own my own business, right? I'm a big fan of business, um, not having a lot of government people show up at the door knocking and offering help. But I do think that at the scale of COVID and financial support and at the scale of solar winds and some of the trade wars, we do need some government um, regulation, if for nothing else, to push so for folks to, to, to take action. And so, you know, one of the things that we recommended from an executive order is for the Department of Defense, any new programs should have to do mapping of their supply chain and monitoring of the supply chain. I hate the word hygiene, but it's practically just hygiene, right? And so really focusing on that, on the federal civilian side, um, under the Obama administration, they had an executive order that never really got implemented to focus on the whole of government another great opportunity. And the nice thing about it, Kyle, is that this administration, it's been very focused, um, and this is not a political statement, it's just what it is, very focused on healing this country. There's a lot of good work going on public-private conversations, which makes folks want to partner more together. That's, that's definitely uh, a, a, a subject that I can get behind as well. So, but that'll do it for us here today on this fireside chat. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. And thank you all for watching here this week on the Global Supply Chain Week presented by Freight Waves.